the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Let's forget about hydrogen for the moment. Ammonia and methanol too. Let's ignore the questions about the ships yet to be built and focus on the global fleet currently carrying the 11 billion tonnes of seaborne trade today. Now, we can have long conversations about slow steaming and operational efficiency measures and better management of the global supply chains and ports. It's all very valid, but that's for another podcast. What I want to talk about today is the ships themselves, because I've been talking a lot recently to various owners about wind and how various kits can save them anything up to about 20% in terms of efficiency. But it's not just wind. There's sexy new paint coatings, mewis ducts, boss cap fins, air lubrication. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into the full catalogue here. My point is that there is an entire industry out there with proven technology that can make existing ships more efficient. And we're not talking about outlandishly expensive tech here. It's perfectly feasible to get a return on investment in terms of fuel saved within about five to seven years, sooner, depending on what kit and what ships you're talking about. So, given the availability, given the relatively cash-rich nature of many sectors right now, and given the obvious and overwhelming need to make ships and shipping much greener than it is today, why isn't every ship owner currently begging yards to find them a dry dock space to pimp their ships greener with every retrofit available? Well, it seems part of it comes down to basic engineering questions, but inevitably it's mostly about money and who benefits. Here's Charles Haskell, Lloyd's Register's decarbonisation programme manager, with a view on that to get us started this week. I think first, first and foremost, it's who pays and who gets the benefits of the of the technology. So, um, and this is where we're seeing where there is um, new technology being sort of chosen as such. We're seeing that collaboration between charterers and ship owners. So there's obviously a model there of greater collaboration between the charterers and the ship owners, um, maybe longer charter party agreements as well, so that the return of an, on investment can be met. But you're right, there are some quick wins, um, but it's one technology doesn't always fit all the vessels. And there is that part of the industry as well. If there's lots of um, different technologies out there and it's defining or choosing which technology best fits your vessel um, because uh, a duct on one vessel could give you 5% but may give you 2% or 1% on another vessel. Um, even if it's the same ship type, it's down to, say, the hull design. So there is work there which can be done. Um, but yeah, to, to sort of answer the exam question, there, there is that case of... Um, yeah, return of investment, the length of time for that return on investment and linked to charter party agreements and, and ensuring that the owner will get that return um, in the time he has the vessel or in the time which is appropriate to him as well or her. So as Charles says, the decision is about what to invest in and when and how. That's inevitably going to be specific to the owners, the ships and the trades. But there is a wider point here. The ships of the future will be more efficient, but the fleet today will be operational into the 2030s. And so keeping the existing ships running longer but more efficiently is part of the overall balance required to green shipping's energy transition. According to City's Michael Parker, who also chairs the Poseidon Principles on Ship Finance, it's not just a question of finance, but the overall balance of incentives and drivers demanding these changes. 
Well, look, I think there is there will be availability. In fact, there is availability for finance because I think it ties very much to this whole issue of um, the visibility and transparency of the impact of uh, retrofitting technology on emissions. This is what cargo interests and increasingly other parties like governments, regulators and others, you know, the broad group of institutions that are looking at this want to take this data in order to, you know, some like regulators checking up on, you know, is it accurate and are we using it correctly? In the case of cargo, it's going to be about their scope three emissions and wanting to make sure that what ships they're using um, are, use, you know, are, are lowering their emissions. And clearly, until such time as the actual zero emission technology or vessels are available, it, it's open to any ship owner, if they pre-qualify in whatever sense with particular cargo owners, to make sure that the vessels they're willing to offer for that cargo are as environmentally friendly as possible. So the question I suppose you're also really asking is um, the appetite for financing that, given the history of banks and shipping, is, is, is that going to come back? I think it will if it is tied to cargo. So, so assurances from people like Cargo in the past that if, if um, you know, they'll help finance the retrofitting in effect through um, committing to employ ships for period charters. And I think that's the way in which it will happen. So it goes to the quality of the vessel and, of course, the operation for which size isn't necessarily any guide, although I'll come back to that in a minute. So... If you're if you're investing in the technology, and, and, and a lot of it's not expensive, if you're investing in the technology to make your ship as environmentally friendly as possible, you will increase the chances of you know filling that ship with cargo. It's about transparency. It's about if you invest in this particular technology and your ship is therefore employed, whether it is one year, two year, three year time charter, wherever it is you will have the visibility of the cash flow that will enable a lender to say, I'm very happy to lend you the money to do this because I can see the cash flow you're going to get equally. You know, the cargo owner will say, I'm willing to either give you my cargo because you've just made that investment or I give you the cargo providing you install that technology within the next three or six months. So I think it'll be it'll be a virtuous circle of decision-making. Now, I would say that doesn't really need to attract new lenders into the industry as a whole because it seemed to me that um, whether it is leasing, whether it is smaller finance shops could quite easily provide that sort of financing without having to take a mortgage on a Cape Size Park carrier or whatever it is. So sources of finance, I think, will, um, will widen to provide finance for different aspects of that, providing you've got that transparency um, because some of that technology clearly is not, 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 you can't just sort of take it on and off a ship. So, you know, you won't need a mortgage on a ship. You'll just want to make sure that the, the, the investment in that technology gets paid back first. So I see no reason in other lenders not coming in to provide that. And in effect, what they're really doing is taking a risk on the charterer rather than on the ship owner. Now, that's fine for the big ship owners and charterers. Let's be honest, many areas of shipping today are probably looking at some of the strongest balance sheets they've seen in a long time, certainly on the container side. 
Finding the cash to pay for retrofitting is probably not a concern for them. I was talking to Cargill earlier this week, where they expect to launch their latest tests into wind propulsion in May. They're fitting Flettner rotors to a vessel. The payback there is dependent on the capex it costs to install the kit, but it's also dependent on the fuel price, which is obviously going to be a big variable. This is the first time they've done this, and inevitably the capex is bigger than they first anticipated. Fuel prices have also varied wildly, so the payback period is probably going to have to change as this project goes on. Even for Cargill, they need to see a 5-10 to year payback on this, otherwise it's going to be complicated. Now that level of testing, trial and error, and hoping that the costs are ultimately going to come down, well you can do that if you're Cargill or Maersk. But, as I have a habit of pointing out on this podcast, the large container lines are not the average ship owner. And the reality is that access to finance is going to be a barrier for some when it comes to making the business case for retrofitting. Tony Foster, the chief executive of Marine Capital, has been looking long and hard at these issues. And for anyone who wants a deep dive into such things, I can highly recommend the recently published UK Maritime Decarbonisation Report that Tony co-authored. It's UK specific, but the lessons are applicable across the sector, I would argue. I was particularly interested in the specific funding mechanisms that he was looking into to help overcome the barriers to investment. Because when it comes to smaller companies, those financial barriers can still be an issue. The challenges are are, are parallel, actually. Whoever the owner is, some of the challenges are identical, of course. It's just that they have different fleets and different credit ratings. So, as you know, and most people know, the challenges relate to um, uncertainty around regulatory uh, developments. Um, they relate to uh, inability to measure effectively uh, technical improvements before installation. Um, inability to um, figure out how different installations combine to achieve certain outcomes and so on and so forth. Um, Having been back and forth with class in particular uh, over a couple of years, uh, it seemed clear to us that that big companies at least, and certainly big public facing companies, would effectively set their own targets. Because rather than wait for regulators to say, this is what we're going to do with CII, the big companies would say, we're going to reduce our emissions by X percent by this date. And that would enable them, um, technology willing, to achieve those targets by investing in certain types of retrofit activity or certain types of new assets, right? So that's, in a way, that's the easy bit. Um, And I think that part of the challenge relates to the fact that 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 smaller market that you refer to is one which is dominated uh, without casting aspersions is dominated by ship owners who tend to say, we'll wait for the regulator to tell us what to do. We will not act ahead of the regulator because why the hell should we? It's going to cost us money. Um, You know, we'll only spend money when we have to. And I think that's part of the challenge when you talk about finance, because Anybody who's financing anything, whether it's equity or debt, wants certainty. And if they haven't got certainty, 
they, they don't know what what they're financing. So, so if you're the if you're the medium sized ship owner with ten ships, and you're saying, well, I'll wait for the regulator to tell me what to do, you're not easily going to get financing for your retrofit when the whole world is telling your investor that the regulatory outlook is is clouded, right? I think that's a big big problem. Um, and, and so the, I suppose there's a lag issue there, in effect, where those companies in that bracket might well be squeezed uh, in the shortish or medium term even, if they don't take initiative, and they're not used to taking initiative. So companies are looking at this, they are aware of the financing that's available, but many are still not making a move. Charles Haskell again. It's, I mean, with the with the existing fleets, I mean, we, we do hear ship owner forums talking about you know, we must be investing in more energy efficient vessels, but we're still not seeing even from the from the new construct from the new construction vessels. There's more awareness of um, say hull design to the operational speed, um, and, and knowing that. But actually, in terms of what we're seeing in terms of um, air lubrication systems, flat nav rotors, or, or, or wing sails is we're not seeing um, them being used widespread. Some of it, some of it's a operational issue. So we understand with bulk carrier owners is there's um, concerns with the um, loading terminals with um, having sails, even if they fold flat, what could the damage be to the sails? Um, so part of it as well is not just talking with, with finance, but talking to all the stakeholders within the supply chain is, will there be an issue with said technology? Um, in the port. So there is an element of educating not just the ship owners, but the entire supply chain and financiers about how retrofitting can happen and how the barriers can be overcome. One person who is well acquainted with all of the reasons levelled against retrofitting is Thomas Risky, the entrepreneur who set up Norse Power, which fits rotor sails and now has a proven track record of making ships more efficient. His view is that attitudes across the board are finally now coming round to his way of thinking. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, we are today in the right place at the right time with the right technology. And actually, we see that the market is accelerating. Uh, we have currently seven delivery projects ongoing with North Power rotor sales. And today, there are six ships sailing with our technology. So the market is starting to accelerate, but we can see that it's a very conservative business. Ship owners want to see references of similar ships and verified high quality data to prove the performance. But as you stated already, uh, that's in place today. So the market is accelerating and I actually uh, expect very fast acceleration of the, of the market in, in short term. Uh, but what's the uh, remaining barrier? It's really anymore only about the payback period and the financing of the technology. That's, that's something we, we, we need to tackle even better. And then it will, will be a very big market for mechanical sales. So look, I'm aware this is a complex issue. A lot of retrofitting debate is more focused on how we build ships that are readily able to plug into new fuels when they eventually become available on the market. But I also think we need to keep as much of the world fleet employed as long as possible to stop building unnecessary ships in the first place. And that's back to Michael Parker's point about transparency. When ship owners publish the data about their operational performance, we will then be able 
to see how much of that fleet really needs to be scrapped and how much of it could be retrofitted. And then we can do some work on understanding the quality and governments can then come in and provide direct subsidies or incentives to do just that. So I see a pathway to all this once you know the data is in the public domain. After that, the business cases become a lot easier to deal with. If the data is there and the technology is there, it will be done. And on that note, I think we will end. Um, Thank you for listening. Please do get in touch. We love the feedback. And if you can, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you find us so that we can reach a wider audience. It really does help. Have a good week. 